Welcome to High Tide, Low Tide, the podcast where we talk about all things mental health and where we share our stories with the knowledge that it could just be the lifeline of hope for someone who is hurting and afraid that they're the only one. I'm your host, Lisa Scanlon, and I am so glad that you're here with me today. Just a little reminder here, guys, that we are discussing mental health in this episode, so we may touch on things like suicide or self-harm, which may be a trigger for you. As always, I'll pop resources in the show notes or know that you can call Lifeline 24-7 on 13 11 14. Hi, guys. Thank you so much for joining me again for another episode. Today's episode is going to be all about the things that I do to take care of my mental health. So these are things that I do on a daily, weekly, monthly, yearly basis just to make sure that I'm staying on track and staying healthy the same way that somebody who is taking care of their physical health would take, um, you know, the things that they would do on a daily basis is the same concept for mental health because we should be looking after both just as equally. So I suppose you could call this self-care. I do think that, you know, the term self-care is sometimes glorified online, you know, with a bath and a glass of wine and a face mask. And those things are great and they are a part of my toolkit for taking care of myself. But yeah, I just want to kind of mention that obviously it's a bit more than just, you know, your online hashtag self-care. These are very real things that need to be practiced often to make sure that I am staying on track. Now, I just want to mention as well that obviously I am not uh, a trained professional and this is not um, professional advice. This is just tips and tricks that work for me And, you know, maybe a bit of a reminder because some of them are quite basic. So maybe it's just nice for you to hear hear these things and just be reminded of things that you too could be doing. Or maybe there is some things in here that are new and you haven't tried before and maybe you could also benefit from them. So just remember that it's just what works for me and no two people's stories or the things that work for two different people can be different. So, um, yeah, just have a listen and, you know, take from it what what you think might work for you. So I've put together a list of 10 different things that work best for me. And this has been, you know, I was diagnosed, I think it was over 15 years ago for the first time with depression and anxiety. So these are things that I've learned over the years that work best for me. And, you know, it is still a learning process now, here and today, because, you know, everyone has ups and downs and I'm very much a part of that. And sometimes one thing will work better than something else, or I might find that something doesn't work anymore. And so I need to pivot and, you know, take a step back and look at what I'm going through and figure out how I'm going to keep, you know, that you know, downward spiral from happening again, or how I'm going to recognize different red flags within myself and how I can manage them a little better. 
But these are the, yeah, the top 10 that I've come up with um, this week when I sat down to plan. And I'm hoping that maybe you might get something out of it. So let's get into it. All right. So the number one thing that I have put down on my list, and if you know me, you're probably going to laugh, is routine and planning. So I personally thrive with structure. I work really well when given very specifics. So for example, you know, this is, you know, I plan out my weeks. So every day my first alarm goes off at 4.45 a.m. So I get up early every every single day and I, you know, train. So I go to the gym before I go to work every day. So I get up, I train, I go to work and then I come home. It is quite repetitive, but I quite like that. You know, I'll go to um, a specific class on a Saturday. I walk after work most days. Um, I book appointments on Tuesdays or Thursdays after work. And often I'll go to my mum's house for dinner on a Monday. So my my basic week is is very... Yeah, very repetitive, very stock standard. And then I slot things in around that. So it's not to say that I can't be flexible. um, And I certainly can. I can move things around. But for me, knowing what's coming, whether it's in the day or knowing what's coming within the week, just really helps me so much with my anxiety to be able to be pre-planned like that. So, you know, if I know I need to go somewhere after work, I can pack the things that I need with me the night before so I could take it with me to training. And I think as well, like if something is pre-planned for me, then it's almost like it's ticked off of my mental load. So if, you know, I have too many things going around, like floating around in my head, this will really add to my anxiety. So I soothe that by making sure that things are planned. Now, this can also mean that I'm a little bit controlling, (laughs) like not in a bad way, but I just like, I like to know that things are organized and I can be super hard to surprise, Um, which is a shame because I really, really like surprises. I love surprising other people and I love to be surprised, but it's quite difficult to surprise me because I just have to be involved with all the organizing and all the planning of things. When I was living in Indonesia, um, I remember that I asked my partner at the time to organize a surprise birthday dinner for my birthday one year. And I think I had asked him like a couple of weeks out to just do it and just, you just organize where we're going and you invite who you think should come and because I just I wanted to be surprised and then just as it got closer to I just couldn't I couldn't handle it and I was like okay here's the list of the people that I want you to invite like make sure you don't leave it too late because people make plans and oh I'd really like to go to the Pearl for dinner so maybe just like don't forget to organize a cake and it just I ended up essentially organizing it myself which wasn't his fault. I just, yeah, find it really hard to hand the reins to other people. 
which is something that I'm working on. But yeah, just that routine and that structure of general day-to-day life really helps me know what's coming. And it means that my anxiety levels are in general um, on the lower side. So that is my number one. Okay, so number two on my list is exercise. And if you follow me online or you know me personally, you know that this is something that's super important to me. I train six times a week and I walk probably three or four times for 45 to an hour outside of that. Three times a week, I'm with a personal trainer. So this is a part of my life that I've invested heavily in. There has also been studies done that have found that exercise is an effective treatment for anxiety and depression. So there is science behind it, which is amazing. But, you know, I really, this is part of my life that I really enjoy. And it's also super rewarding, especially with strength-based training for me, is that with every week I can see and I can feel the progress. So this gives me a huge sense of achievement as you can you know, see that your form improves week to week, or you can see that you're able to lift more. So I can see my deadlift numbers go up or my squat numbers go up and things like that. So it's, yeah, it's a way of achieving goals as well in a regular day-to-day life. Also, exercise helps you to release happy hormones like serotonin and endorphins. So this is even an additional bonus on top of things like boosting your self-esteem, increasing energy levels, and it also helps to improve your sleep. So if you're not someone who's super into exercise, you know, it doesn't have to be structured. Okay, I'm going to the gym for an hour and I'm going to do blah, blah, blah. It can just be things like going for walks or, you know, yoga, riding a bike, hiking, you know, playing a game or playing sport with friends. You don't have to think about it as much as, you know, oh, I'm going to the gym and I'm going to do that because, I mean, again, everybody is different and that doesn't appeal to everyone. But you just need to find what works best for you. Number three, and this is a fairly, you know, simple one, but... Eating a well-balanced diet and staying hydrated seems simple, but it has a huge effect on me. So obviously different people's bodies react differently to different things. So last year I did a fitness competition and this got me into the habit of eating smaller meals more often rather than three big meals a day. And this is something I also competed in 2014. And so I did it then. So I knew that type of eating worked well for me. So when I got back into it last year, I knew that I was going to enjoy that style of eating. How I enjoy it is that I find that when I'm eating three bigger meals a day, I end up either eating too much in one go or I just end up feeling really full afterwards and super lethargic, especially if you think about lunch and this is in the middle of your day and you know I'm at work. So then I've got the whole afternoon where my body is like sluggish as it's trying to process all of the food that's in my guts. So for me, I'd rather eat smaller meals more often. So at the moment I eat five or six smaller meals. So I meal prep as well. So this saves me some time 
um, and it's one less decision I have to make throughout the day. And when you think about how many decisions each of us have to make a day, this just saves me some time and energy not having to decide what I'm going to eat or what I'm going to cook for dinner and things like that. So at the moment, so I get up and I train and then I'll have my first meal at about eight. Then I'll have, so that's first breakfast. Second breakfast will be around 10.30 and then I'll have lunch around one and then I'll eat again around 4.30 and then again around seven. And then I do have another meal if I, like I can have something small after that if I wish to, but it's just yeah, making sure I'm getting heaps of fruits and veggies in there, enough protein for myself and carbs, and making sure that I'm drinking plenty of water throughout the day. So this is one, I mean, we all know that we should be eating a well-balanced diet and, and drinking enough water, but sometimes it's just nice to hear it again and just be reminded. And I know how much of an effect this can have on myself. Number four is therapy. So honestly, Seeing a therapist, seeing a psychologist was the best thing I have ever done for my own mental health. And I will like sing it from the rooftops. And when people tell me that they're having a hard time, I just, I can't stress enough how important it is to take those steps to start seeing somebody. And I know that it can be super daunting and it can be overwhelming, but I just, I just know how much it can help. So I'm super passionate about this. Um, I've seen multiple different psychologists over the years. When I came back from Indonesia in 2020, I started seeing somebody new. I was obviously living overseas for five, six years. I wasn't seeing any psychologist or counsellor over there. So I decided that I would find somebody when I got back because I had a lot of stuff going on. So I've been seeing her now for about a year and a half, started off seeing her once a month, and now I see her every second month for maintenance. You know, it's just like getting your car serviced. Um, you know, I check in with her to make sure that I'm, you know, everything's all good and I'm still on track. And I can remember that like when I very first started seeing someone, I think I was seeing her like weekly to begin with or fortnightly it might have been. And then it pushed out to monthly. So you just have to find, you know, what is the right schedule for you and, you know, just go from there. And it can be like, I know a lot of people do get a, a little bit overwhelmed thinking about the process if you haven't seen a psychologist before. But if you don't know what the steps are that you need to do, the first thing you need to do is to make an appointment to see your GP. So go and see your regular doctor and let them know how you've been feeling and then that you would like a referral to see a psychologist or a counsellor of some kind. And then they will do a like a mental health referral quiz for you. And then you should be able to get a um, mental health plan from that. So I think that gives you 10 sessions to begin with. And then they can often refer a clinic or a psychologist, or you can find one yourself and go from there. And then you need to make the appointment. Now, sometimes there can be a little bit of a delay in being able to get in to see the psychologist. But please just know, you know, if you've taken these steps, then, you know, there's a reason that you've taken these steps and it will be worth it. So just 
trust in the process and just know that you are doing the right thing for yourself and really taking some steps to take care of your mental health and it will all be worth it in the end. You know, even now when I, you know, I'll have an appointment coming up and I'll sit and think to myself before I go there, oh, what am I going to, you know, I feel fine. Like I'm, I'm okay. You know, maybe I don't need to go to this appointment or, you know, I don't even know what I'm going to talk about when I get in there. But I always know that I need to go regardless. So, you know, when I get in there, I always find that as soon as my butt hits that chair and I sit down across from her, I'm just like word vomit. Like just things just come out of my mouth and I'm like, oh, wow, I didn't realize that I was holding on to that or I didn't realize that that was affecting me so much. So if you're worried about what you're going to say when you get there, don't worry you know, they're there to prompt you. They know what to ask. They know how to help and guide you through it. So yeah, just trust the process and just know that you're doing the best thing for yourself. Okay. Number five for me is writing or journaling or diaries or whatever you want to call it. So if you've been following my Instagram, you would have, you would have seen some of my diaries make an appearance here or there. And you probably know that I have been keeping diaries forever. So the earliest one that I've managed to find was from when I was seven. It's not a whole lot of like good stuff in there, but it's still quite interesting to think that I've been keeping diaries for that long. So yes, um, just so you know, uh, if you've wronged me in life, you will 100% be making an appearance in one of those diaries. And I'm sure it's uber dramatic um, and hilarious to read now as an adult. <laughs> but, you know, it's with writing and, and with my journals, it's interesting because if I'm going through, you know, a really rough time, sometimes I'll find that the thought of actually sitting down and trying to put what I'm feeling into words is way too overwhelming. And I won't write in there for ages because it's just, it's too much to have to like rethink about it as I'm writing in the diary with the pen. And then other times I find that, you know, because I've written in there and because I've, you know, taken all of that messiness that's going around in my head and I've scooped it out and I've put it onto the pages, I actually find that it's like a huge weight has been lifted off of me and it's freed up a bunch of space for me to kind of move on from it. So it can, for me, it's kind of one or the other. And, you know, when I, sometimes when I'm writing in there, I'm thinking like, oh, I'm going to read this as like an 80 year old and be like, oh yeah, I remember that. But like I'm doing that now when I read back and I'm like, oh, I completely forgot that that happened. And, you know, it's it's really great to look back on and reflect on how far I've come. And I'll often list like goals in there. So it's cool to like go back and read back over and see which goals I actually have achieved. And there's some that I still haven't, but, you know, things I think in multiple diaries I've got learned to learn to speak another language written in there and still no only English and I lived overseas for five years and I should be able to speak Indonesian it was also taught at my primary school and my high school 
So the fact that I cannot speak Beda Bahasa is absolutely ridiculous. But anyway, so those kind of things are funny to look at. And it's also super hilarious to look back and laugh at all the cringy stuff that's written in there. You know, I love this person or this person's a bitch because they didn't talk to me at recess today or, you know, all of the, you know, early, you know, first kisses and things like that that are in there are just absolutely mortifying to read as a 34-year-old. But still glad I've got them there. So you might find that writing things down might also help to clear up some mental space for you. Now, number six, I've called it mindfulness activities or doing it, doing something consciously. So these days, our attention span is essentially nil. Our brains are being turned into mashed potato and we can't even, you know, I can't even watch a movie without scrolling on Facebook or Instagram. Like I have both hands up here. I'm hugely guilty of this. And I'm sure that most people listening probably do the same. You know, I can't even actually listen to a podcast unless I'm either in the car or um, on a walk. Like I can't have a podcast on at home and listen to it because I just can't multitask in that way like that. But anyway, so, you know, ideas for mindfulness activities are things like coloring in or puzzles or meditation. But the ones that work well for me, I really wanted to share So my absolute favorite one is crossword puzzles or puzzle books. So if you see me at the beach in summer, I will always have a crossword book, a puzzle book in front of me. So I always used to, when I was in the airport, in the newsagents there, they would always sell those like take five puzzle books and stuff for like three for $10 or something like that. So those type of ones. So it's not just crosswords or sudoku it's the you know there'll be a whole bunch of like finder words or three or four or five letter words and you've got to put them into the right formation and that kind of thing so those kind of things where you're solely focused on the activity that's in front of you so crossword puzzles is a great one I put reading a book in this list but sometimes if my mind is too hectic reading a book I can't focus on it so sometimes yes sometimes no Washing my car isn't exactly something I really enjoy doing, but I have a work car and it has to look schmick. So that's something that when I'm doing that activity and I'm at the car wash and I do the one where you do it by hand, I don't just drive through. So that one, I actually really enjoy doing that because again, I'm not thinking about, I just know I enjoyed doing it and I just that I didn't enjoy I enjoy it because I'm not thinking about anything else. So it helps to clear my brain, clear my mind. Learning something new is also another good one because you're so focused on learning that new task. And something that I recently learned or something new that I was recently doing. So there are these electric surfboards or e-foils. And I'd done a couple of lessons down at Henley with Jake from Vento and he has the electric surf company boards. And so this was a completely new skill for me to learn. I've never been a surfer. I love the ocean. So this was really cool. So, you know, being out in the ocean for one, but learning this new skill where you have to like pop up as if you're on 
a surfboard, but you have like a remote in your hand and that is controlling the propeller under the surfboard. So you've got to keep that going at a constant speed as you try and get up and then find your balance and then sort of learn how to maneuver the board as well. So, you know, I'd be out in the ocean for like an hour or an hour and a half on that and my mind is not anywhere else. Like it's the most present that I've probably been in the last six months and those couple of lessons. So those are the types of activities I mean when I'm talking about mindfulness or doing something consciously. It's where you're solely focused on the activity at hand. Actually, I will just add, I was going through a really hard time towards the end of last year and my anxiety levels were absolutely through the roof. And we had our staff Christmas activity organized that week and I'd been like in tears all day, like I could hardly eat and, you know, trying to focus on anything was really, really bad. But I knew I had to go to this event and I really didn't, I didn't really want to go not because I didn't want to celebrate Christmas with everyone, but just because I was feeling so crap. Anyway, the um, activity that we were doing was like a paint and sip. So we had platters and wine, but we were painting something along with an instructor. So you do it all step by step and you're really focused on what's happening in front of you and what you are actually doing. And I actually found that that really helped to calm me down because it gave me, you know, I don't know if it was 90 minutes or two hours or however long that class went for, I literally didn't think about all the things that had been upsetting me. So it gave me a reprieve. And honestly, I was so glad that I went afterwards. And it was actually the most perfect activity that we could have done. And it was super fun. And we painted, I think it was like snowmen drinking red wine. And anyway, it was a great time. But that was another really good example of doing something in the moment consciously and allowing your mind to just be present. Number seven is the beach. So the beach is a huge part of my life and I have been lucky enough to grow up very close to the beaches here in Adelaide. And then obviously living in Indonesia, the beach is just everywhere. So it's the fresh air, the vitamin D, which is huge for me, the sand under your feet, no shoes on feeling and the salt water. The salt water, I swear to God, has healing powers. Like, I just cannot express this enough, yeah? So, you know, for me as well, like being in the ocean is like going home. I mentioned a few times that I was living in Indonesia. I was working as a dive instructor. So I was in the ocean every single day, multiple times a day, under the water, coated in salt water and just absolutely living the dream. So when I go back to the ocean, it's like I'm going home. I swear I was definitely, mermaids are real and I was a mermaid in another life or like a fish or something. That's a whole nother story. But yeah, so for me, going to the beach regularly is something that I do for my mental health. And maybe it's not the beach for you. Maybe it's, you know, going into the forest or into the bush or it's for hiking Mount Lofty or it's, you know, being in the outback, being in nature, being in fresh air, whatever it is that works for you, do it more. You know, we are always so crammed up inside watching TV, just, you know, letting the hours just tick, tick, tick by. And it's just like, yeah, 
Be outside. Outside is great. <laughs> okay, number eight. So this is kind of two sides of the same coin, I guess. So I need to make sure that I'm spending time alone to recharge or I need to make sure that I have plans to see other people. <laughs> so both are super important and I need to find a good balance in life. So if I've had a bit of a hectic week or, you know, I've been out a lot and socializing a lot, I need to make sure that I schedule time for myself to spend time with myself, by myself, and just recharge. But on the flip side of that, I also need to make sure that I am connecting with people and, you know, spending, you know, quality time with my friends and family and loved ones. So often what I do find is that, like my brain, if I'm starting to slip with my depression, um, sometimes I don't always pick it up as fast as I would like to. But what can happen if I'm starting to slip is that the depression part of my brain will try to trick me into staying home and staying away from people. So, you know, it will tell me that I just need to stay home and be on the couch and, you know, not go anywhere and not see anyone. And I know this about myself now. And whilst sometimes I do need to spend that time alone to recharge, I have to be a little bit wary of myself and make sure that it's not too much of that time because I know that that will snowball and potentially get out of hand. So it's something that I've learned over the years to monitor in myself. So it's about finding that nice balance of spending time alone and spending time with others. Cool. Number nine, and I love this one, um, and I really hope that people resonate with this one in some way. So number nine is that I have learned not to trust my own brain. So I've learned over the years that I can't always trust my thoughts. And it's like I have two brains, so or two different parts of the brain or two different sides. Anyway, it's like I have my regular brain, my regular brain, and then I have my depression, anxiety brain. So it's like like an angel on one side and a devil on the other. And the depression brain is the one that tries to trick me. So it tries to like lure me down the depression path of, you know, telling me not very, it's not very nice to me. It's not very encouraging. You know, if I was to try something new, you know, it's the seed of doubt in there. And then it's, you know, a seed of doubt that grows into a, huge tree of, you know, you're no good. And, you know, I spoke about this in another episode about how I often would speak to myself. You know, I would be telling myself I'm useless. It's that part of the brain. It's my depression brain that's in there. That's that's saying those things to me. And my regular brain knows better, but it's not always the stronger voice. So sometimes I'll actually have to say to myself, Remember, you know, this This is that other brain trying to trick you. Don't listen. And I know how that sounds. And sometimes I say it out loud and sometimes I say it in my head. But that helps me. It helps me to stop and recognize that those thoughts that are occurring aren't necessarily true or aren't necessarily ones I need to listen to. I can just acknowledge it and be like, cool, thanks for your opinion, now fuck off. So that is a huge one for me. I think 
that's yeah one of the most powerful ones for me of making sure that I maintain my mental health is knowing that I can't always trust those thoughts that are in my head. Now, number 10, and I think this is a nice way to wrap it up, is all of those like in inverted commas, self-care things, Um, you know, like taking a bath. I love a bath, absolutely love a bath. Um, I bought myself a little one bedroom unit last year and the bath that's in it is like, a shall- the shallowest crap thing that you like you can't have a bath in it like you could but you're not going to enjoy yourself so like it's the original bath and I think this house was made a while ago so you know unfortunately I don't take baths at my own house but I will take my lush bubble bath over to mum's and have a bath at her house instead but that's something that, you know, I do do for myself. And, I you know, I will do a face mask or I'll book myself in for a massage. Or I will go to Jenny's Bakery for whatever delicious special cronut they have that day. And I will enjoy every single bite as I eat it. So those things, I think, are nice ways to pamper ourselves and feel good and things like that. So I did want to include that in my top 10, but I think that probably the other nine are the more important ones for myself. So that is my top 10 things that I do to take care and manage my mental health. So I hope that in listening to this, maybe it was a bit of a reminder on things that you can do on a day-to-day basis, or maybe it's a little little push along that maybe you should book that appointment with the psychologist or maybe you're going to go out and get yourself a puzzle book and if you do hit me up and let me know because everyone pays me up for doing them (laughs) and I think they're really fun so yes I hope you've taken something away from this today and I will see you next time doey If you enjoyed today's episode, please hit the subscribe button and leave me a five-star review. Even better, if you know someone who might benefit from listening to it, please tell them all about it. You'll find more information from today's episode in the show notes. If you or someone you know would like to be a guest on High Tide, Low Tide, please email me at lisa, spelled L-E-E-S-A, at hightidelowtideau.com dot com or dm me on instagram at high tide low tide au see you next time